Okay, let's take our Bibles, open it to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This will be part two of the, the parenting section of Ephesians. Originally, when I preached this at Clarksdorpe, uh, I preached this in three sermons, but I wanted to have mercy on your soul and combine it. <laughs> so, so this one might be a little bit longer than the usual sermon. I'm going to really not try and be unnecessarily long, but uh, after today, we're going to move on to verse five. But, but, um, but this, these sections, will you, would you not agree, are very foundational for our lives. These are our families and um, this is the next generation we're speaking of, and therefore, if we get this wrong, it will have a rippling effect in the generations to come. But if we get this right, by God's grace and by His will, we can change the world through our children as well. So, let's read together the word of the Lord from verse 1, Ephesians 6 from verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you, may be, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you that you are our Father, all of us, Lord, that you, those you have saved and redeemed to yourself. And thank you that we can look to you, Lord, as the model Father of how we should do our parenting, Lord. And I pray that you would give us clarity in these verses, what it means to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Be merciful to me, Lord, as I, as I preach, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at that first word, fathers, and its implication for us, as well as that, as well as that negative direction of do not provoke your children to anger. And this afternoon we're going to look at the rest of the verse, bring them up, in specifically two ways in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that's the second point of what parents are to do, not just number one, do not provoke them to anger, but number two now we see bring them up. Just read, off, read verse four with me again. It says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now parents, the simple point here we have to say is we must bring our children up. Children won't and cannot do it themselves. As a reminder of what the proverb says, folly is bound up where? In the heart of a child. So leave your child and they're just going to follow their foolish hearts. Proverbs 29, 15 says a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. Leave a child, he brings shame. By them pseudo parents... Give them a phone too early, an Xbox in their own room, a PlayStation that can keep them busy, and then you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be a parent for them, right? And you do your, what you want to do on yourself, and you don't care who raises the children. You are doing the opposite of what God calls you to do. The point here of this verse is probably why parenting is so incredibly hard. It is an active job. It's something we have to work. You can't delegate the parenting process to somebody else. You have two jobs. If you, you work for an income and you come home and your second job begins when you step into the room, when you step into the house. But where, you might say, where in the world will parents have this, the strength, the energy, the courage, the hope to do this, this task? Now, I'm, I'm still a, quite a young parent and I'm like reaching my limit as well, like energy-wise. 
Lord, where are we going to get the infinite energy to deal with these these little bodies that just look like they have infinite energy as well, right? How are we going to do this? Where should we go for our source of strength and power and hope? Now, here's the answer to that. And it's found when you consider that the same word that is translated, bring them up in verse 4, is the same word translated as nourish in chapter 5, verse 29. So let's read that again. Just look back to chapter 5, verse. let's read from verse 28 to 29. It says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, and here's the word, but nourishes. Same, same Greek word that we just looked at in verse 4, it says bring them up, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So that section is speaking about husbands. What are husbands to do with their wives? They are to nourish them. The idea there is to provide warmth, to provide the atmosphere of growth. So husbands and fathers are to provide the spiritual climate of their home so that there can be life and flourishing in the home. But did you notice what the end of verse 29 says? Look at again at the, the end of verse 29. It says, husbands are to nourish and cherish just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. That's how Jesus takes care of us. He is the one that brings us up. He is the one that nourishes us. Just like a husband is to tenderly love his wife, so Jesus tenderly loves us. What did he do to to save us, right? He, He descended an infinite distance to become a man. He came to reverse the curse, heal the sick, cast out the demons, feed the hungry. He came to save the unsavable, those people that the society said unredeemable. Nobody should talk to them or touch them. They're gone. Prostitutes, demon-possessed, greedy, corrupt thieves of the day. And those are the kind of people Jesus came for. Those are the kind of people Jesus delighted. To love, save, and forgive. And then, of course, how did he do that? He went to the cross to bear our sins, to bear the wrath of God on himself, rose again on the third day, ascended on high. And what you must do to receive that forgiveness and that transforming grace is to repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ. When you do that, your sins are washed away and you are forgiven. You will have eternal life. So fathers and mothers, listen to me. Here is the unending source of your joy. Here is the unending source, the fountain of your strength. Where should you run for your strength and joy? You must go to Christ. There is a person that can help you with the daily battle, the daily sins, the daily shortcomings of your life. His name is Jesus Christ. That's where you need to flee daily. So husbands, listen, this is the flow Husbands first need to learn how to receive Christ's love for themselves. They need to just be the passive receptors of Christ's nourishing grace, Christ's strengthening grace. Desperate to run to him and pray on a daily basis, Lord, I need you. My heart keeps turning to idols. My heart keeps desiring things that you've told me not to desire. And as husbands receive that love, filled with the Holy Spirit, now that flows over, spills over and as they practice on mommy, as they practice on their wives, as they've 
receive Christ's love, now they love their wives in the same way. When you stare your wife's sin in the face, right? When your wife sins against you, and that, that moment where you could either respond in anger or in self-justification or self-pity, you have the greatest opportunity to respond like Christ. And instead of giving her justice, you give her grace. And as you reflect the, the face of Christ, your wife is nourished, your wife is cherished, your wife is refreshed in your presence. And guess what? Now as your wife receives both her love from Christ and you as the husband, that spills over to the children. That fills them so that you also tenderly nourish them, tenderly bring them up. I love this quote. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, he says, We as husbands have been the recipients of great tenderness at the hands of Christ. Husbands have been called to show great tenderness to their wives And they are now called as fathers to express this tenderness to their children. So that's the fountain, like a down cascading fountain of love that must pour down from the top, from Christ to the husband, to the wife, to the children. There's our source. So the key to parenting is to cultivate two other relationships. Your relationship with the Lord, number one, and your relationship with your spouse, number two. And as you do that, you can almost fail in everything else. You can almost ignore the rest of what what we're dealing with here and you will be a good parent. You will be one. But we have specific things to do still, right? Because the text says, okay, bring them up, but what? In two specific ways. First, we are to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Discipline of the Lord. Now, notice that this is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is not your own standard of discipline, your own standard of instruction. We as parents are not free to raise up little models of ourselves, to raise up little children that we want them to be, our goals for them. So here we come to the question, what is your goal in parenting? What are you trying to achieve with those entrusted eternal souls that God has given to you? Let me list some common goals that might not be bad in and of themselves, but fall short of the goal of Christian parenting. Number one, one of the, one of the goals of common parenting today is to raise well-behaved children. Some parents, they just want children to behave, that they can return to their single life or to their married life before kids. I just want children that doesn't bother me anymore. Now, that falls way short from what God has called us to do. Number two, some people just want to raise successful children. If I can just give my child a great education, or if he can just be in this specific sport, or if he can just flourish in that area where I haven't flourished, then I'll be a good parent. Again, nothing wrong with wanting to give your children a great education, wanting them to be involved in it, but that can never be your ultimate goal. Number three, Just to raise children by saying, I just don't want to repeat the same mistakes my parents have made, right? Many times parents come into their parenting just saying, I'm just not going to do that, what my dad and my mom did to me. And guess what? This is like a pendulum, right? It just goes from one extreme to the other. And your children rise, I'm just not going to do that, what my dad and my mom did. And it's just going to repeat itself until we come to what we actually have to do and say, I don't care what my parents did. I'm going to do it what God has said I should do. All of that falls short. Here is 
should be your simple, ultimate goal in your parenting. To raise children who loves Jesus above every, everything else. That should be your goal. Our goal is to prepare our children for eternity. Um, in our catechism that we do with our kids, we ask them, do you have a soul? And the answer is, yes, I have a soul that can never die. You're looking at Alakai, that two-year-old, thinking he has a soul in that two-year-old body that will never, ever die. Where is that soul going to go? You see, we as parents, we have the bigger, we, ha- we don't just have the big picture of education. We have the big picture of judgment involved. We think of eternal life. We think of, because our kids are going to stand before the king of kings. They're going to have to give an account for their lives. Now, that goal is good because it's impossible. You can't do that. You can't raise kids to love Jesus. That's impossible. That's why you need to depend on God in prayer. That's why you need to ask God to save them. As you discipline them, as you instruct them, you're looking to God. You're always pointing your children away from yourselves, away from anything this world can give them, and turn their eyes to Jesus. That's what we want, and that's how we achieve our goal. So it's the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It, it belongs to him. But now, let's look at this word discipline. It is the discip- in the discipline of the Lord. The Greek word there is the word paideia, where we get our word pediatrician or pedobaptist, right? Child, it just means child. But um, my wife sometimes cheats and just says peds. When she works with children, I'm just working in peds, okay? But what the word means, paideia, literally means training, training your children, uh, in, in ancient Greek or classical Greek, I saw the word was basically synonymous with education, but not just intellectual education. This was uh, a, a holistic form of training, training in their, in, their, in their intellects, in their emotions, in their habits, spiritually, everything. It's a holistic raising up of your children. We see the same um, word applied in how God our Father Paideia us, or trains us, or disciplines us in Hebrews 12. So here the word just comes up over and over and over again. Listen to Hebrews 12, verse 8 to 11. It says, if you are left without paideia, without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are, not, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the fathers of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he, our Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all paideia, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the, pleasant, uh, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now notice, here is where the nuance of discipline comes in because it says all training, all paideia seems painful. So this is a kind of a training through pain. Training your kids, so I'm going to give you pain that you can stop doing destructive habits, and I'm going to train you to get, do life, life-giving practices, life-giving habits. So parents, how do, you do, how, do you, how do you discipline them? Well, for the government, God gave the sword. For the church, God gave the keys of the kingdom. And for parents, God gave the rod. <laughs> okay. God has given each of us instruments, right, to do his will. And for the parents, God gave the rod. God's method of discipline is the rod. Hiding, 
a hiding, a spanking on the bottom, with a controlled, loving, and for the child's good. That's the kind of rod I'm talking about. Literally, and my advice is literally a rod. Using a wooden spoon is magic. Okay. Now, beloved, we, this is God's method. We should not care what the world says about it. God's word is the final authority. We should not fear the consequences. Rather, we should fear God and trust him and say, God, you have told us this is the way to do it. We are going to trust you. Basically, are you going to build your parenting on the shifting sands of popular opinion, of, of pop child psychology and how they've told us to raise? Or are you going to build your parenting on the eternal rock of, of God's word that never changes in every culture, in every age? It stays the same. The proverb we've been mentioning so much, right? Proverbs 13, verse 24. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That verse is ironic because the biggest reason people don't want to use the rod is that they claim they love their children. I love my children too much to use the rod. That verse says exactly the opposite. It's parents who love their children passionately that faithfully, diligently uses the rod. Now, of course... There is a wrong way to use the rod. Proverbs 19, 18 anticipates that. Listen to Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope, but do not set your heart on putting him to death. Scary, right? So in our discipline, in our using of the rod, when we have uncontrolled anger, the whole thing flips on its head. Anger hijacks biblical discipline. When you are angry at your child and you give them a hiding out of anger, you, the rod has become the rod of Satan. And you are counterproductive. And so, parents, the biggest thing you need to deal with is your anger. Right? Is to deal with anger. Don't discipline in anger. Discipline with that love in your heart. So, let me list some 10 practical steps or practical principles of how to apply the rod in your parenting. Number one, First time obedience, okay? Now, we've been mentioning this with the previous, with the children obeying, but what we mean there is we don't, we discipline them when they've disobeyed us the first time. Remember, disobedience is right away, all the way, and with a joyful heart. When they, when they don't obey in that, we discipline them. Number two, be calm. Be calm. The great thing about first time obedience, discipline, is that you don't have to shout. Never. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to threaten them before they will obey you. You can simply speak, and based on your authority, they should obey you. Now, if you've been a parent for longer than, well, I would say a year, okay, because you don't discipline young babies, but it, you will know that this is not natural for your children just to listen to your voice and obey you. That's not natural. It has to be trained. If you do this right, if you do the first time principle obedience principle right, your children should almost be surprised that they get a hiding. They shouldn't anticipate that hiding based on your heightened voice or the way you've been threatening them over and over again. You should just simply speak. And when they disobey, go and take them and give them a hiding. So, oh, oh, wait, yes, I've disobeyed mom and dad. They should then realize that as you go. But you see, the, the, the key here is to be calm, stay calm. 
Of course, this is hard work. This is not something we can do while sitting down. We can't, again, like delegate this. You have to be constantly vigilant in this, in this way. You have to commit almost before you command your child, if he disobeys me now, I'm just going to discipline him. End of story. You have to commit in that in your thinking. So number three, be consistent. Be calm, be consistent. I suspect one of the biggest reasons why the rod doesn't work is because parents do it one day and the next day they don't. Or the one week it goes well and the next week they don't do it. Again, so this is, the, this is really the hardest part of this for me personally, for, uh, for us personally, just to be constant, just to be consistent, not to tolerate disobedience. And you will know when you have reached that point when you feel like you can't say no to your child. You come to a place in your home where you feel like almost they have that final say. They become the, the parents almost, right? No, you have to say, okay, if you disobey me, I'm going to discipline you. Number four, be private. Be private. This, dis- this discipline we do with our kids is a private matter between us our child and God. It's not a public matter. I've seen so many parents use the rod, but it, it, it's in public. And then it also malfunctions. It also, because it's more embarrassing to your child than really effective. It, we don't want to embarrass our children with our discipline. This is so, so important. If you use the rod publicly in any way, you can also be sure that you are not in control of yourself. So that's super important. If you're in public, right, find a public bathroom if you have enough faith and strength. Or turn around, go back home, do the discipline and go back to the shops. But whatever you do, don't do it in public. Number five, explain to your child clearly why you're disciplining them. Again, like this is sometimes parents just do the one. They just talk or they just give the rod, but they don't do both. Both of these things are important. As you give the rod, you have to talk to them. Take the time to explain to them. What did mommy say? Mommy said this. What did you do? I did this. What should I do? Give me a hiding. Right? There should be this dialogue. Your child should understand. Right? If you only give them a hiding, you only do half the job. So you tell them not just why they get disciplined. You also tell them, listen, I'm disciplining you because God says I should discipline you. God says... Whoever spares the rod hates his son. And I don't hate you. I love you. That's why I'm going to do this. Because guess what? God disciplines mommy and daddy. God disciplines me. Because he knows that if I go on in my sin, if I go on in my rebellion, I'm going to destroy my own life. I don't want you to destroy your little life. So I'm rather going to give you the little pain now than you suffer the eternal pain later. That's why I'm doing these things. Try and quote scripture to your children. Right, if you don't know what verse, Ephesians 6 verse 1. There you go. <laughs> Children, obey your parents for it is right. Did you do that? No. Okay, let's go. <laughs> okay. Better yet, try and quote scripture specific to their disobedience. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's another one that you can quote always. Okay, always quote that. But then afterwards, after you've disciplined them, share the good news. Share the gospel with your children. Listen, for that disobedience you've just done right now, you can go to hell, but God sent his son to pay for your sins. Even the sin you just did to mommy and daddy, Jesus died for you. You have a way to deal with your sin. Go to Jesus. Let's go to him together. Let's pray. Let's ask for forgiveness. 
if again if you think of the the rod and the explaining it's like 90% explaining and like 10% the rod like talk 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 rod talk 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 hug okay it's a lot of talking very little discipline but that's the way we want to engage in their little hearts number 6 i have to say this it has to hurt okay that's just a principle like the one pastor told the story of he his son disobeyed him and he said, okay, you can wait for me in the bathroom. And his son said, but can mommy give me a hiding, please? And the child realized, oh no, he let out his key secrets, right? And dad says, no, it's fine. Mommy can go, but I'm coming with. I'm going to observe. And he realized his mom was using like a fish hand, you know, like there was no power in the hand. And he's like, no, honey, let, let me show you. You have to get your shoulder in there, okay? <laughs> All right, that's just, just really a joke. To counterbalance what I just said, give your child a number, okay, say two or one swat. That also keeps you accountable and gives your child hope. Doesn't know, like, okay, this is going to go on forever. Like, okay, after this one or two, then it's over, right? But, but really, this is, this is important. It has to hurt. Now, I think our fear as a parent is, but am I not going to damage my child? This is the beauty of the bottom, okay? You cannot, on the bottom, permanently hurt your child, Listen to this quote from Richard Phillips. He says, The sensation of pain on the backside, and I love this next part, that God has kindly padded is one of God's ways of reaching a child's heart. God has kindly padded our children's bottoms. We don't have to fear there. Okay. But, but listen, the pain is important because of this reason. Because we are teaching our children disobedience hurts. They don't understand that apart from the physical sensation of pain. Like you can tell them that with your words. They're like, okay, cool, I'm going to do that again, what I just did. But the, the hiding helps them see the foolishness of their, their disobedience. Even, even a child that you can't really communicate clearly with your words, like that lesson is burnt into their mind, right? Okay, if I listen, don't listen to mommy and daddy, it's going to be painful. Right, so connect those dots for your children as well. And number seven, reconcile reconcile with your child afterwards again um the way I, and, and again i just want to say we want to give grace to our parents and maybe people who've done this wrongly but i remember when i was growing up as well like i remember i was given a hiding and i just had to flee from my dad's praise or my mom's praise and just run to the and try to comfort myself with my own pillow or something like that but but no the the goal of our discipline is to reconcile with our kids we want our children to, because when they disobey you, there's a break in your relationship. And when you, after the rod, it's over. That's also the beauty of the rod. It's a quick and over punishment. You don't have to extend that torture, right? It's a one done and you're in my arms. It's personally one of my favorite things of discipline is after the discipline to pick up your child, hug him until he stops crying. And if it takes five minutes, hold him for five minutes. If it takes 10 minutes, hold him for 10 minutes. But you hold him until he stops crying. And that should be our goal. And, and again, like I think in the beginning I thought this wouldn't work, but as I did, I realized it's so natural. Children want that comfort. They want that reconciliation. If your child doesn't go for the comfort naturally, something is still wrong. The child's heart is still angry. The child's, child's heart is still in rebellion. You might have to start again. But that's the goal. You want to say, 
listen, this is why I'm doing this. I want to be restored to you. Isn't that why God disciplines us as well? Disciplines us to bring us back to himself. That's the goal of our parenting as well. Number eight, I've mentioned it, but I'm just going to mention it briefly again. Pray. Pray. Pray with your child. After the comfort, if your child calms down, you pray. You ask. You go to God together. Let's pray. Let's ask God to forgive us, give you for your sin, and reconcile, give you a new heart. Number three, lead your child to restitution when necessary. Say your child stole something from a shop. You discipline, but then you go back to the shop where they've stole, and you say, go back to the owner, give back the suite, and tell them what you've done. Confess. Right? This is what God does with us. He disciplines us. He forgives us, but we sometimes have to deal, still deal with the consequences. Right? If you've broken the law... You might still be forgiven by God's grace, but you're going to prison if you, if you do this right. And this is important, especially with sibling fights, sibling fights or disobedience against mom or some other dis- um, just relationships. After the discipline, say, okay, now I want you to go back and I want you to reconcile. I want you to ask for forgiveness with your brother, with your mom, and reconcile. This is important. You've broken not just your relationship with dad, but with that person. Lead your child to restitution. And number 10, train them in the opposite obedience required. Train them in the opposite obedience required. Okay, let me give another scenario. Let's say your child simply refused to put on their shoes after you've asked them to do that. After discipline, take the child back to the exact spot where he he disobeyed you and then simply say to him, listen, let's try this again. I'm going to put you back in the place. I'm going to ask you to put on your shoes. And then you should say, yes, daddy. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Put him down. Command. When he obeys, praise him. Praise him highly. Well done. You've obeyed. Like ideally you want all of your discipline to end on this kind of a high note where you have put them back in the place of disobedience, trained them to obey you, and then praise them for their obedience. And that becomes the habit then. You see, so because again, that's our sanctification. We shouldn't just stop doing the sinful part. We should start doing the opposite that God requires. So that's the discipline part, the training part. Now, of course, this especially applies from zero to five, and maybe from five onwards, you can start looking at different methods. But this should be the foundation of your discipline. This should be absolutely foundation of your discipline. But let's now look at the second and last point is... Not only should we bring them up in the discipline, but secondly, also in the instruction of the Lord. The word here is focused more on education by words. So this is where the two really come together. We raise them by disciplining them. We also raise them by teaching them, instructing them with our words. And the most important way for you to obey Ephesians 6 verse 4 is to obey Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. So I want you to turn there with me quickly. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. So the way to obey Ephesians 6 verse 4 is to obey Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Let's read this section together. Wonderful Old Testament passage on parenting that we also need to know. Listen to Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. We're going to read until verse 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here's two helpful guidelines for how to instruct our children. Number one, it must be on your heart as a parent. The first way we teach our children is that the word of God must be on our hearts. Look at verse 6 again carefully. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, parent. Where must the law be? Where must the word of God be before we can ever teach it to our children? These words must be on your heart. And again, isn't this right? Isn't this the place where we fail as parents? How can you teach a Bible you yourself don't read? How can you instruct your child in the love of God if you don't love God? How can you teach your child about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ if you don't deeply know these truths and grasp them and and embrace them for yourselves? But it really goes deeper than just knowing the Bible, right? The text says it shall be on your heart. Now, when you think of the word heart, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the heart is the control center of your soul. It's what drives everything in your life, your thoughts, your emotions, your passions, your actions. That's your heart. Your heart determines everything else you do, right? Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from your heart flow the springs of life. So here, let me ask you these questions. What wakes you up in the morning? What do you desire first thing in the morning? What's the last thing you think about when you go to bed? What do you tend to think about when there's nothing else to do, when you have that 10 minutes, 15 minutes gap in your day? What, where does your thoughts go? Where does your passion, passions and your desires run to? Guess what? That's your heart. That's your heart right there. So again, parents, the most difficult duty of parenting is not something you do with your children it's something you do with your own heart is your heart day in and day out filled to the brim with god's word meditating upon it you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise again we have this concept of this is not easy this is diligent diligency hard work teaching your children the bible doesn't come easy or naturally i love this quote listen to this quote from one commentator says the image here of diligence is that of the engraver of a monument who takes a hammer and chisel in hand and with painstaking care etches a text into the face of a solid slab of granite the sheer labor of such a task is daunting indeed but once done the message is there to stay Thus it is that the generations of Israelites to come must receive and transmit the words of the Lord's everlasting covenant revelation. So do you have that picture of of chiseling something into something? That's what parents have to do with the Bible. Chiseling the words etched into their memories. That is like, okay, whatever my dad told, whatever my mom told, this thing was just hammered into me. Okay, this verse, that concept, this principle. We have to engrave the Bible into our children's minds. And again, the idea is that of diligence. How do we do that? 
Verse 7 says, as a way of life, when you rise, when you sit, when you walk, when you eat, right? It's, it's the everyday living. So it's not limited to a Bible hour, a sermon, a prayer, Sunday school. It's not there where it's etched into their minds. It's, it's in the parenting process, the, the mundane times, right? So use your meal times to do this. At mealtimes, discuss what does God's word say about that situation, right? Share what you have read that morning, what you have read with your children, with your family. Use teachable moments. There's going to come moments when your child needs to hear a, a specific nugget of wisdom from God's word. So as their lives develop, use those moments to show them, to memorize key verses. On that note, memorize verses as a family, so as a family, we memorize scripture together. And then at those key moments, we say, hey, but remember, we've memorized this verse. Let's now apply it. Please use good catechisms. Use good catechisms. I, I, this is such a, I, I'm so sad about this. I think this is a, a, a forgotten discipline. We've lost this discipline as parents. A catechism for boys and girls, excellent. Use that when your children are small. When they are growing up, use the short, shorter Westminster catechism. And then when they're older, teenagers, use the baptism, the Baptist catechism, the one we're using in church. But to catechize them, to teach them, to help them see the full scope of biblical theology. Inside about, yo, where do we get the time for all of this? When do we do this? Family worship. Dedicated time of family worship. So make the family table when we eat together as a family and make the family altar or family worship the two non-negotiables of your family. These two times, non-negotiable. We are eating together and we are worshiping together. Those two times, and those are the times you use to sing to God, to pray, memorize scripture, read, read scripture, and that should take no longer than 15 minutes. Okay, so don't do a rian on your children. Okay, they're going to hate me and you. Don't do that. But use your family worship time. Make it short and sweet Let they, that they can look forward to that time. So, and then from time to time, ask this humbling question. What sin do you need to repent of? Any sin you can think of. Just from time to time, ask that for your husband. Ask that for your wife. Ask that to your children. And bring, and what a joy that is to come to Christ together. Let's ask for forgiveness. Now, I want to save my last word for the fathers. Don't forget the first word of verse 4, which, which says, Fathers, fathers, bring them up. So, my word for you is you need a plan for your family, you need a spiritual vision for your family. How are your children going to know the Bible? That's your problem. Do you have a plan? Do you have, right, have you gone to God to get that spiritual vision for your family? It's your job. If you don't have one, make a plan. Make a plan to discipline and instruct them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And by God's grace, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, we know that there is so much more that could be said and specific nuances of family life that is so much more complicated than even the way I've presented it today, Lord, your word. And Father, I pray that you would fill us with your wisdom, your spirit, that we would truly cling to Christ as the source of our joy, the source of our strength, the source of our encouragement, and that we would, as we receive your your grace, Lord, that that would spill over to our wives firstly and then as husband and wife to our children, that they will see Christ and see him as the treasure of our hearts. So, Father, please help parents here this, this afternoon, Lord. Please give them the endurance, the diligence they need. I pray that your word would be etched on our own hearts and our own minds and that we would then in turn teach that to our children, Father. Lord, only you can bring a reformation in our hearts, our families, and therefore, Lord, we turn to you and we ask you for your grace for this. Bless us, Lord, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have instructed us through your word, and I pray that you will help us now to do it. Help us, protect us from just being hearers of your word, deceiving ourselves, but to be doers and practice your word. We pray this for your namesake.